from the parking lot. To the tunnel. Check it out. Have fun. Unleash. Let's go. To the 50-yard line. On the field. This is your field pass with DCI's Dan Potter. Welcome to the Field Pass. I'm Dan Potter, along with DCI's Michael Boo and Jeff Griffith, and we are reviewing the DCI audio releases, both downloads and CDs available right now. We'll tell you how to get them coming up in just a little bit. In each one of these podcasts, we're taking a look at a different core from each of the four CDs in this set. In this Field Pass, we're going to review Gold, The Colts, Mandarins, and Carolina Crown. Jeff, Michael, welcome back. Good to be back, Dan. Let's start with gold. Gotta get to the job. Gotta get to the job. Gotta get to work. Gotta get to work. Okay. This is the first open class core that we have reviewed in this set, correct? That is correct. And their show, The Pursuit of Happiness, the beginning of that show, I swear, had to have half of the audience reaching to make sure their phone was still on silent. Because it starts out with the alarm I wake up to every morning. And that got everybody's attention. As it's off to work, pursuit of work, money, eventually happiness. Yeah, they uh, actually said not to get to work, which probably made a lot of people uncomfortable about calling it sick so they could be in Indianapolis. <laughs> yeah, probably did. Jeff, did uh, you get caught off guard by the beginning of the show? I will say the first time I heard it, it was kind of odd. Um, I liked how they used that sample. It wasn't just a quote. They kind of used it rhythmically in a way to yeah. set that kind of right. that weird driving, pulsing rhythm of the opener. Um, it's a very chaotic opener, very dissonant. But like, I think that's the intention because the idea is you kind of go through this day in the life of the everyman and you know what are we looking for what are we searching for it makes us happy and so you've got the like you mentioned you know the workload and the the money and then and all the different you know love and all the different things um and so like you said it starts with that wake up get to work um but between the sample of the alarm and the kind of rhythmic gotta get to work gotta get to work it's very like all right we're waking up we're kind of building into this chaotic opener that's one of the personally that was one of my kind of like more memorable musical moments because it's one of the it's one of the more memorable openers to me in terms of the way it kind of set the stage um you just kind of like kind of ease into the show a little bit but not necessarily in like a quiet way but in like a in like it builds nicely This is a mostly original show, a lot of the score written by Scott Director, who's on Gold's staff. Uh, Michael, what would you think of the music? Well, it, it certainly fits Gold. They've done a great job over the past two years. Of uh, This is not the first piece of uh, music, the first show, of which Scott Director wrote quite a bit. And they've got that formula down that works for them. But the opener was by Elmer Bernstein. I... Jeff, I thought I knew Albert Bernstein music, but I didn't know this rat race, and I didn't even know the movie, which was a 1960 film with Tony Curtis as a jazz saxophonist, and that's why in the opener, you hear some very jazzy things that sound like they could or should be played by a saxophone. Well, that was lifted from that. From the rat race of work, Gold pursues love, and not just once, like five times. I think the tune's called Love, 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 and then it's right into the chase for money, Jeff. 
Yeah, one thing I loved about um, some of the, I believe this is original piece of music, and what I loved about the way they kind of work with this original um, kind of like like Mike Mike mentioned, kind of they were able, they've been able to tailor original music to their kind of vibe, their aesthetic. And one thing they do did really well with this year, I thought, was percussion arrangements, and you hear a lot of that in um, this money section. It's very, um, it's very like for you know kind of kind of like a not like a rock feel to it but it's definitely percussion heavy um really clean front ensemble very impressed with them and they you know there's a reason this core was first place in percussion all the way up until open class finals when uh legends jumped them for the open class percussion caption award but this movement for me was really really showcased that well um really pleasant listening in the percussion book um really well executed and i mean they were just a hair behind first place so you could tell this is arguably one of, if not the best, percussion section start to finish the season in open class. Yeah, it it was a... It was an interesting piece because it didn't rely on the typical sounds that we associate music with money, like the, you know, the cash register and the dinging from, uh, there was a little bit of that, very, very subtle, from the Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. And uh, it wasn't like the money, 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 money. That was the theme of uh, The Apprentice show. Uh, he, He just, he kind of sat back from from doing the obvious stuff of that piece, which I found rather interesting. And then eventually the pursuit leads us to true happiness as the the closer. The piece was just simply called Happiness Found. Well, you mentioned, Dan, the uh, the final movement, the Happiness Found, and this was really the one movement that I felt like, because you mentioned how the opener was very, you know, chaotic. The second movement is more of the, that love, that ballad. Third movement is kind of the money, you know, up-tempo. The fourth really felt like the, the really the only moment of just that pure drum core feeling, which I feel like in a way helps drive the thematic concept of kind of searching for the right happiness and then you find it in this last movement it's it's just very you know major chords very just drum core um what's the word um just kind of fanfare like um and i loved there's this little trumpet kind of solo solely harmony screamers right before this big final impact mellophone sustain we've mentioned on previous episodes the mellow sustain was kind of a a theme this year uh and this one was really impactful i liked the way that um it was just very resonant this ending as opposed to some of the other movements that kind of kind of built to that happiness found when you first hear the title you think it's going to be really sweet this wasn't sweet this was as you mentioned jeff very fanfarish very dramatic uh, it was sort of a, a victory march, not a victory march, but a victory lap to what came prior to the show. Let's move on to number 16 from the third CD in this four CD set. The Colts, their show this year, When Hell Freezes Over. I got to tell you guys, 
This is one of my favorite Colts shows of the last several years. I really enjoyed the theatrics of this show and the music as well. Drum majors, Elijah Elfheiser and Kyle Holland. Is your core ready? Yeah, I have to agree. It it certainly grew on me over the course of the season. The first time I saw it was in Zionsville, and I feel like it didn't click with me there. Um, I got to witness it. I don't think I got to really stand on the sideline and see it again until again until Atlanta. Um, and I saw it there, and really, I think things came together more. They had kind of pieced together more of the thematic pieces of the puzzle, and it just kind of made a lot more sense and didn't feel quite as... Um, hard to latch onto as it, as it did when I saw it early in the season. It felt like a very visually driven show. I mean, one of the more memorable ones of the season, definitely a crowd favorite was the, you know, the uniform effect when they flew this big, you know, light blue kind of icy looking tarp over the core. And then as people emerged from under it, they had, you know, they had removed their, their fiery red and orange tops to be more of a, a blue kind of, you know, almost like it's hell freezing over. It's, it's fire turning to ice. Very cool visual moment, but there were some, musical moments you know obviously this is about the musical moments that, that stick out to me when i go back and listen and just getting off at the beginning i love the way this pre-show starts like i love when a show can kind of set the feeling before the show really leaves the station but there's just it's it's just low just tuba notes and the guitar playing through that hell's bells kind of intro that sets the stage before it kind of builds to the opening impact and i love the way that kind of set this feeling that they wanted to give the audience before really the show started, if you will. Well, Drum Corps definitely needs to do more ACDC. Yes, sir. 100%. Because the music, it, it just has Drum Corps written all over it. Mm. Uh, yeah. There's there's instant drama. You don't have to go searching for it. And there's, in, in the case of what you were talking about earlier, it, it's so mood setting. So much of the music it just sets a mood. And uh, and this piece has been around since 1980, back, the Back in Black album, and it took us this long to find it. It's a uh, instruction course. Go go check out more of this group's music because I think it it it's great mood setting music. You know, looking at it, this is this has to be one of the most eclectic mixes of composers of 2019. And if this oh, were a, if this were a radio station, I would so listen to this going from ACDC. To something about, you know, Robert W. Smith, Camille Sasson, uh, Chopin, Vivaldi, and Bob Dylan. That's eclectic. Yeah, that's yeah. A, I mean, we, we talked earlier on a, a previous episode about Boston Crusaders being all over the map. Credit to Colts doing kind of the same thing. Yeah, it, it was certainly an incredibly, incredibly mixed bag. And it was almost, uh, I, I, I had the impression that it was like a grab bag where you don't know exactly what you're going to get till you open it up. So there was something in the show for everyone. The uh, Sansas, the Dance Macabre, uh, not to be confused with the song by the Swedish band Ghost, the, uh, with the skeletons dancing, you heard the little tinkling and stuff like that, and the uh, crow of the rooster at dawn. Uh, it's interesting that we've heard this song, this many, we've heard it from the Cavaliers in 2014, Immortal. We heard it in 2000, we heard it just the year before from Oregon Crusaders in the Red Robe show. They made it their own, and so I, I didn't mind that I had just heard it the year before from someone. Jeff Colts finished 16th this year? Yes, sir, and that was, technically speaking, um, and we mentioned a similar kind of 
trend with Phantom Regiment in, in 12th place. 16th for Colts was technically a step back from the last two years in terms of the overall seeding, uh, as they got 15th in 2017 and 14th last year. Um, but a, a fun fact that I came across kind of when I was decompressing from the season, kind of just searching through for some of the different um, just scoring trends and whatnot, this is the closest a 16th place finisher has scored to that year's gold medalist in over 30 years. So um, that, I feel like that's credit not only to the top wow, 16 I, as, a, as a total, but to Colts uh, I was you know, totally, in 16th place. I was totally unaware of that. That's an interesting observation. I do yeah, they're, not the, they're not the highest scoring 16th place score, but they are the closest a 16th place finisher in 30 years has scored to that gold medalist. I forget the exact number of points, but I think it's something like 14 to what Blue Devil scored, a 98.3, uh, so huh. 14.1. Um but yeah, I mean that speaks a lot. I feel like to the depth of this top tier, um, and even heading into the you know top fifteen, top twenty, because um, like you said, Dan, this is one of the better shows. I feel like one of the more entertaining, exciting shows we've gotten out of Colts, at least in you know our collective opinion over the last several years. And uh, and even though they kind of slipped maybe a couple spots, you know the Academy barely jumped them by a tenth of a point for fifteenth. Pacific Crest barely jumped the both of them for fourteenth. So really, I mean the splitting of hairs between Colts getting fourteenth again and getting sixteenth, so minuscule and i feel like that's proven by just that stat that you know they were about as good as a 16th place finisher can be well I, i'd like to mention since we're talking about specifically about the cds uh, a few little musical notes that are really picked up on this recording the first one i found really interesting was hearing the cracking of the ice after the freeze yeah and that's when the that's when the core reached the seventh circle of hell because a lot of people uh, may not know that in Dante's Inferno, hell is cold, not hot. And on the CD, this, the crackling of the ice is, is really spooky. Did it hit you that, Jeff? That yeah, uh-huh. You know, I knew it was coming, but why was that so uh, intimidating, f so fragile? I can offer, I think, an explanation. Yes. And you heard it earlier in the season. It didn't have the same impact on you, right? N not at all. Yeah. I here. Here's what I think is going on with, with these CDs in a, in a lot of ways and, and why they're so impactful when you listen to them. These shows, musically, acoustically, electronically, were all designed for one room in this country. Uh -huh. Lucas Oil Stadium. Definitely. And and hearing it in other places may have general effect, but when you hear it in the room it was written for, I think it has the intended impact. Absolutely. Incredible observation, really. And uh, another one that really was quite haunting. Uh, during the freeze, we heard the eight trumpets, and they were very reminiscent of the manipulation of sound that Don Ellis did. You really, I really felt that uh, I was inside a cave, and mm. it sounds even more so when you listen to it on the CD. And then once the quarter gets down there in, in hell, you hear that cracking of ice again in order for them to escape. Uh, but this time, the cracking of ice isn't sending them into hell. It's allowing them to ascend to heaven for the knocking on heaven's door. That, that was the point, Jeff, where the props all came together to create the ladder that was used to climb out of hell. Right. A bunch of really fascinating effects. And as Dan mentioned, uh, it, it, so much of this seemed 
it, it didn't go aha until Lucas Oil Stadium. You mentioned Bob Dylan. I love the way they used Knock on Heaven's Door. It's a very, for how sometimes dark, sometimes frenetic, sometimes um, not necessarily like, uh, even even sultry, I feel like at times this show is, that that closer is really the only kind of happy, you know, like bright feeling you get. And I think that's intentional, um, but I love the way they use that. They've got trumpet screamers littered throughout this show in so many different moments. And there's a little group of them that play right before this final push of Knock on Heaven's Door. One of my favorite moments personally of this show. Okay, guys, let's flip to CD number two in the four CD set. Mandarins finishing 10th this year. The show, Subterra. Uh, if you want to put a mental image uh, with this podcast, think of all of those severed heads on poles that they rolled out onto the field. Uh, this was this was an aggressive show, to say the least. Mike, let's start with you. This was an incredibly aggressive show. I mean, they strangled the intruder. They stabbed him with a big sword. They cut his throat, and then they threw him off the wagon. Uh, That is not... uh, (laughs) That's not Sesame Street stuff. That that was incredibly, incredibly aggressive. And uh, the director, J.W. Kester, told me, we've awakened the dragon... This is a quote that he that he gave me in Allentown. Uh, the Corps has always had championship dreams, but when we made the jump to world class, it took us a while to figure it out. We're hungry again. We have a newfound sense of confidence, and the members are over the pressure of being in finals. But that we've awakened the dragon really applies to the thematic material of this show and how they how they addressed it so aggressively. And it was almost like. They, they just didn't want to have any aggression left over for the following year. So they poured it all into this show. I mean, it was intense. Yeah, what I love about what they did this year is it's interesting because it's I feel like aggressive is the word because I think like a lot of people would look at this show and call it dark, but it never felt like like haunting or uncomfortable or scary in terms of it's it was just in your face and energetic and there was so much good characterization i mean really everyone in this core had just a mean face on and they sold this idea of this guy's intruding in our underground society let's rip him to shreds and get him out of here like it was it was it was they really enveloped you as performers and i feel like that's kind of the next level that puts you on that top 10 plane is when you can not only have a good design, not only have good staff, not only have good membership, but when they buy it and you can see that with Mandarins, you saw it somewhat last year when they got uh 10th as well with life right after I'd argue this year was a step up in terms of just overall performance quality. Obviously they didn't rise in the rankings because we all know how difficult that tends to be the mm. higher you get into that top 12, top 10 plane. Um, but this show, the members were just eating it up and it made it so much more fun as an audience to buy into as, this show as far as the musical book um 
in the center of the show, we had the music by Peter Graham, Philip Glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the Run Boy Run uh, feature in the fourth movement that we have heard from Cavaliers before. The show was 15 game on. Yeah, uh, the show was bookended, though, with the original pieces by Key Poland and Ike Jackson. And I love the way that this show started and ended. Oh, loved the closer. It's 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 funny because this show, for how dark and aggressive, and 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 you know all of whatever words you want to pick from that, you know, violent. Yeah, sure. I mean, anything. The closer was so hummable. There, there, there's an impact moment, and I, I left every time I left Mandarin's performances. I mean, there, were, I, forget, I think it was Vista California, one of the first chances I had to see a lot of the West Coast cores. I, I think I might have even tweeted this um, that I left that stadium humming Mandarin's closer. You know, three quarters, four quarters has gone on after uh, gone on after them, and I left that stadium humming their closer. And for a show like that, you never think you're gonna like have a melody stuck in your head. You know, you're gonna be impacted and punched in the gut. But to have a melody that sticks with you from a show that dark, that's awesome. And I love the way they ended it with that. It's 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 in your face. It drives. There's another mellophone sustain, as you've mentioned. Great work from Key Pool, and in my opinion, um, on this show, especially in that ending. And they, that ending wasn't changed until the Tuesday before Allentown. Right. Which was, uh, just shows you how you know, the instructors are always trying to keep things fresh, mm-hmm. but to do something like that, and it was a pretty major change right before championships, is really having faith in your product and faith in your members. Mm-hmm. Now, and it really, the change you're talking about, musically speaking, it added so much because I think it was maybe there was maybe uh, like a four bar addition between kind of some of the, 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 the driving to the finish line and the final chord where it's just it, it's just this extra bit of just twist you in the gut to add that little bit of energy before that final chord punches out that you're talking about there Mike it it, it added so much in just a small bit of music that they added that I mean that's one of the moments that really pushed this show over the top to me it was short but it was high octane absolutely now, musically, one of the things that I was most intrigued by the show is that the second movement, the end of the second movement, where the core creates tension, not through all this hammering that we talked about earlier, but through almost complete silence mm. and lack of movement. And that is the guard uh, waiting for the intruder to come out, so they're being very quiet. And you get that they're being quiet once you see the intruder come out, and then he's nailed. And then it's it's just too late to... Turn things back. They created a unique sound, and that's a perfect example. The opener to me, like I mentioned, is another example of that. How it's 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 all of these weird competing sounds, whether it's the the the, um, the tribal drums or kind of the the incantations coming from the coming from the you know the, the sampling. And there's really only like a handful of brass chords that come up in this opening impact. Um, that's another example to me of how just how they they didn't necessarily 
do things in certain moments the way you'd expect a drum corps to do them traditionally. Uh, and that I feel like just adds to the kind of identity they're carving out of this different, dark, a little weird, if, if you will, uh, identity. I think the tension primarily came from us wondering what's going to happen next. Sure. Yeah. Guys, I, I got to tell you, some of my favorite moments in 40 years of drum corps have been moments, and this is a weird thing to say as we're reviewing audio uh, of the cores this past year, have been moments of silence, drill that's taken place in silence, guard moves that have, you know, unison moves that have taken place in relative silence. I do wish designers would use that uh, negative sound, so to speak, as a, as a device more often and create tension like that because I think it's highly effective, especially if it sets up something huge on the other side. I, a little historical note there. I'm curious. Now, this is before your time, Jeff, but Dan will relate to this. I, f I felt that the first core that really exploited silence and moments of uh, using silence as music. Mm -hmm. what, want to take a guess? Cavaliers? No. Star of Indiana, 1993, the Badia show. I Man, have seen that one, and I yes. have to agree. The moments of silence were choreographed id and just made you on edge so much because it increased the anticipation of what's going to happen when they come at you next and there was a lot of silence in that show a lot of moments and i feel that this show really exploited that concept Okay, let's move on to disc number one and Carolina Crown finishing fourth this year. Guys, when you start to listen to this track, there's about a second and a half of ambient sound from Lucas Oil Stadium before that massive high brass entry. And in that second and a half, I think you can hear the energy that is in that crowd, the anticipation. And the second they hit that, uh, that high brass impact at the beginning it just sets the crowd off and i don't think they stopped through the whole show i think the the audience was on the edge of its seat if not standing for most of the show The one thing Crown knows how to do, and I feel like a lot of it comes from the design of their of their brass book and their and their overall their music design, is light Carnet, light audiences on fire. Like every year, I feel like they they create shows that get the general average drum corps fan really freaking excited. Whether it's musical moments or visual moments, even like the ending of Inferno or that big punchy opener in Relentless or that big, um, I want to say Bach opener from It Is in 2017, the Bruckner last year. Every year, I feel like Crown finds a way to just just punch the audience in the gut in a way that other cores maybe don't do less, but do differently. And I feel like the just the general drum corps fan can't help but just be 
energized by a Carolina crown opener. Another prime example here in 2019. Well, just, just the horn line itself. I think the audience is ready for some good old Carolina crown uh, just washing over you, whether it's slapping you in the face or tickling your ribs. There, There is nothing like listening to the quality of the Carolina Crown horn line. I mean, it's just, uh, it's awe-inspiring. You're absolutely right, Mike, but I do have to shout out the percussion section. Uh, this, at one point, was kind of a weaker point for Carolina Crown, especially when you compare it to that, you know, take 2013, for example, 20 out of 20 in brass, sixth place in percussion. This percussion section was really good this year and last year, too. Um, but there's a reason they scored first overall in music, and it's both of those things. And the percussion, right. you know, the, op- the opener is so brassy in those, there's kind of like three windows of brass. Between those, there's some really intricate battery music, and it's played at a very high level. Crown has really taken a step up in the percussion as well, and it just makes the overall music experience that much greater. It is, it is kind of a call and response, isn't it? Because we have high brass entering, then we have the battery answering, then we have the low brass joining the high brass and the drum line answering, and then everybody together in that third window. Um, that first two and a half minutes, what's the tune called? The um, tune is called Dark, Dark Clouds. Clouds. Dark Clouds. Tom and Oblak, right? And Christopher, Christopher yes. It's from the Bavarian State Television Female Vocal Choir. That is an amazing chart. And uh, I've, I've listened to Bulgarian State Female Vocal Radio Choir, I think is their full name. I've listened to them. That's the nasal choir singing, right? Never thought it could translate like that to a horn line. Oh, yeah. Every, t- every time I listen to this piece of music, I often, I, I, when, I, like when they first announced the music selections, I listen to this, I'm like, that's not drum core. Like, what? That's, that's, yeah. like, it's, it's, it's not weird, but it's, Definitely not like kind of the more obvious sound you think of when you think of this is a piece of drum corps is going to use. No, not not at all. In fact, they, did you know they, they did two pieces that were Bulgarian? Uh, part four, the uh, Deep Understanding Busimus, and I'm probably mispronouncing it, is a traditional Bulgarian folk dance. Huh. So uh, I whoever discovered one of those probably led to the other one. It was it was very interesting because it as you mentioned, was not what we would typically expect a drum corps to uh, to utilize as a source material. But nobody told them that. Oh, not at all. Now, I have a, a bold opinion for you guys uh, yes. that I want to get your thoughts on between, and this is something I've stood by to a lot of different drum corps fans, and I'll stand by it today on this podcast, between that unique piercing opener, one of the most beautiful ballads I've ever heard, that 7-8 driving closer that you mentioned, um, the uh, Busimus, if we have the pronunciation right on that. Um, just between those, between all these different movements, I, I am of the opinion that musically speaking, in terms of cohesiveness, listenability, and entertainment value, this is Carolina Crown's best show of the decade. Discuss. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a hard choice to make, man, because we're talking, they had a championship show in the last 10 mm-hmm. years. Dude. That's yeah. true. And that show was special for the full package. I would if you're if you put 2010 through 2019 on a CD for me, I am tracking to 2019 first. Hmm, interesting. On an audio CD, that is my opinion. Anyone can 
can debate it with me if they want to. It's at the end of the day, it's drum core, and we all love it. But that's I, I that's my hot take for the day. In the center of their show, Frolic and Gabriel's Oboe. Now, the composers for Frolic, Danny Elfman, for Gabriel's Oboe, Ennio Morricone. Both of these are film composers. Uh, Michael, do you know the the uh, film backgrounds of what these tunes were from? Yes, uh, Frolic was uh, Danny Elfman's Frolic was from uh, actually an album, 1994, Black Beauty, which was written for choreographer Twyla Tharp. So it wasn't actually a film; it was written for a ballet production. And uh, the uh, Gabriel Sobel was written for the 1986 film The Mission by Ennio Morricone. We, we heard that twice since the turn of the century for Boston Crusaders 2001 Harmonium and Madison Scott's 2006 Primal, For- uh, Primal Forces. So uh, it was interesting. We don't find too much music from ballet. Uh, Contemporary ballet. I'm not talking about Stravinsky ballet from the early 1900s. So it was it was really interesting to uh, find this music that was originally for a ballet, and it was treated very ballet-like visually. Uh, the the piece, and I, I'm curious, Jeff. I found Frolic very reminiscent of Elfman's Corpse Bride theme from Academy 19, 2016. Could you? Expound on that? You know, I didn't, I can't say I thought of that before this moment, but I see what you mean. It's yeah, definitely it, got that kind of, not necessarily like cheerful, but definitely like upbeat feel to it. Eerie, but upbeat, yes. which is a very interesting thing to pull off. Yes, there's there's so many complex layers beneath the surface, which yeah. was the title of the show. And there's so many be- beneath the surface of Elvin's music. He uh, he somehow is able to weave together disparate elements that you wouldn't expect someone to be able to do. And I thought the core pulled that off magnificently. Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, the Dan, you mentioned as well the Gabriel Zobo. I know I, I touched on it during my uh, my hot take rant. Um, but that ballad, that that might have been just from a listening perspective. That might have been my favorite, one of my favorite moments of 2019. Gabriel's oboe, the between the soloist and it, it wasn't like. Oh, I feel like a lot of ballads you have kind of the the verse and the chorus, if you will. You have this, you have a lot of front ensemble, a lot of solo, a lot of quiet, and then a longer drawn out impact moment of kind of the the main melody of the ballad. That's kind of your cookie cutter ballad. But this ballad just kind of built all the way to that one chord where you have the snare drummers standing on the, on the prop, they hit that, that I, uh, somebody commented on our Instagram, what it was, uh, an E flat major add 11. That's the, the chord that they hit there in the ballad. And the snare drummers just throw their hands out. And that's all I ever wanted to do was just stand on the, the prop during that moment, throw my hands back and just let that chord hit me. Cause it's, it's, it's powerful. It's, it's smooth. And then it's just, it's, it all builds to that one hit. And then it goes quiet again, and they hit the major resonant final chord. The uh, soloist kind of plays a melody over that, and that's it. And there's really not a long, drawn-out, loud moment from this ballad. And I think, personally, that made it that much prettier. 
This it, is my it was, favorite ballad of 2019. It was the intimate and spiritual core of the entire show. Michael, Jeff, thank you very much. We will be back with more reviews from the 2019 CD and audio release. Remember, you can download this audio right now at marchingmusicdownloads.com. You'll also find it on Apple iTunes and Amazon, and you can purchase the CDs in the DCI online store. For DCI's Michael Boo and Jeff Griffith, I'm Dan Potter. We'll talk to you next time.